Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, again, came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard the voice of the Lord, he pulled his cloak over his face, went outside and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, folks, if God asks you a question and you provide your answer, and then he asks you the same exact question again, there is a fairly good chance that the answer you gave the first time was not correct. And now God's given you a chance to answer again. But we don't see Elijah picking up on that hint. And he replies with the same exact answer that he gave the first time, which was just as wrong as, the, as when he gave it the first time. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And basically what he's saying to God is, I don't want them to kill me because they're going to torture me and make me suffer. I'm just here to give you my life. Just take my life from me, Lord, and I'll be happy. And the whole reason Elijah made this grueling journey, think about it, he ran at least 41 days to this mountain because he wanted a special 
audience with the creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty. One that he thought he could only get if he went to the mountain of God. So the Lord presented Elijah with three awesome displays of natural power. Wind, earthquake, and fire. But the Lord, Scripture says, was not in any of these manifestations. I mean, you have the wind ripping rocks, tipping rocks off the mountaintop, rolling them down the mountainside. He's showing Elijah just a wind blowing from the Lord could tear a mountain apart. Then there is the earthquake. He's showing Elijah he can shake even gigantic mountains. Elijah still wasn't impressed. So he sent a fire. A fire could consume all the brush on the mountain, but not destroy the mountain. And he's showing Elijah all of these things. And Elijah still answers the same way. Because the Lord showed him he wasn't in any of those manifestations of destruction. But that he was with Elijah. Because after everything quieted down, the Spirit of the Lord whispered again in Elijah's ear, which should tell Elijah, God is right there. Amen. What are you doing here, Elijah? Basically, he's saying, I told you to go to Jezreel. You outran the chariot 20 miles as I supernaturally helped you outrun Ahab back to town. Your place was supposed to be in that town. That's where your provision was and is. What are you doing here, Elijah? And although his reply was the same as the first time he was asked, perhaps... Elijah now said it with a different tone of voice, realizing that although God's works of mighty miracles and can bring down exact judgment, his most effective work is done much more intimately and personally. And even though he had lost patience with his brother Israelites, God had not yet given up on them, but rather was willing to enter the next phase of his plan to turn the hearts of many people back to him. The miraculous sign on Mount Carmel was the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, and that it was successful in God using these things to capture people's attention. It was now time for the gentle whisper in the ear of Elijah. It is only through this phase 
that people are truly saved. Through that personal interaction, the personal relationship, rather than through fear or even awe. Think about it. God can use natural elements to capture people's attention. You might go through a hurricane or a tornado or a flood or a devastating wildfire. And through it all, you're full of fear, anxiety, and worry. And when you come out the other side, you are so thankful. Oh, thank you, God, for delivering me from the hurricane, the tornado, the flood, the fire, whatever the case may be. Thank you for delivering me from that. And now, in that special moment, when the trouble has passed you by, and you have that intimate moment where you are talking to God where you are at. In that special moment, God is able to talk to you personally, one-on-one. And it is through these moments that people will surrender their life to the Lord recognizing he is God. Just like when Elijah called fire down on the altar, all the people present bowed down on their faces to the ground and declared, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. The Lord, he is God. They were in awe of what had just happened. What does God have to do to get your attention? Amen? It was now time for this little gentle whisper in Elijah's ear. And it is only through this type of act where the Lord God himself through his Holy Spirit can minister to your inner man and you hear that voice inside of you saying, what are you doing here? I have something different planned for you. Will you surrender to me? That is how that personal one-on-one relationship with God is established. Amen? It trumps fear. It trumps danger. It trumps the awe of God, the miracles of God. Because, folks, there is no greater miracle. None. No greater miracle in all of the universe than when a person makes the decision to become born again. Think about it. You cannot make The decision in the natural. You know, I don't like my life. I think I'm going to go and start over. It's impossible. Even Nicodemus, confused on this subject, asked Jesus, 
How can a man be born again? Does he have to return to his mother's womb and start over? That's thinking logically, and it's thinking naturally. Human logic fails in comparison to God's logic. Satan's logic fails miserably when compared to God's logic. Scripture says if the devils would have known what Jesus and the Father had planned for the cross, they would have never crucified Jesus. But they did. And Jesus allowed them to think they had defeated him. They gave him access to the deepest part of hell. And while they were there tormenting him, three days and three nights, he took it until he heard the voice of God. I love that song. Up from the grave he arose. Remember that song? Hallelujah. And he defeated the devil and every demon from hell in the deepest, darkest pit. He went there so you don't have to. Amen. Amen. Back to Elijah. Notice how, except for one little glitch, the death threat from the queen... Everything was seemingly going extremely well. After all, the people had vowed to serve Jehovah Yahweh, the Lord, and him only. And the rain came, bringing an end to the famine, proof that God answered the prayers of Elijah. All the prophets and priests of Baal were dead. But somehow Elijah couldn't seem to see the good through the bad of one threat. Jezebel could not do anything to Elijah. If she really, truly could have killed Elijah, she'd have sent a warrior, a soldier, with a spear to run him through. But she knew she couldn't touch him. So she sent a servant, a lowly servant, with a note. And it was enough to strike fear in the heart of the man of God. Like I said, Elijah should have read the message, heard the message, however it was delivered, and said, you go back and tell that wicked queen, you want some of me too? Come and get it, because i got something for you. I mean, it is totally blowing my mind how someone who is walking in all these miracles could turn tail and run knowing God backed up everything he said. Think about it. He went and told the king, it's not going to rain till I say so. He was miraculously fed by the ravens twice a day. We figure for at least 18 months. When the brook dried up because there was no rain, the brook dried up. 
he still said, God, you're the one who said to come here. And here I stay until you tell me to go somewhere else. The word of the Lord came to him and said, I want you to go to Zarephath. For I have commanded there a widow to sustain you. So he gets up and he goes to Zarephath, about a three-day journey. Gets to Zarephath, the widow woman, not complaining, she's just explaining, as we studied last time. Look, I only got enough cake for one, or enough flour and oil for one cake. That's it. That's all I got. And Elijah says, make me some first, and God will bless it. And it will not run out. And she did, and God did, and they stayed there for another year and a half. At some point uh, during that time frame, the widow's son caught a disease and died. And God listened to the prayer of Elijah and brought breath back into that boy. I mean, Elijah should be walking on cloud nine. Knowing he needs to watch his words because whatever he says, God's going to do. God thou sends him back to Ahab. Ahab's, oh, here you are, the one who's causing all this trouble in Israel. And And Elijah still rebukes the king. He's not slowing down one bit. It's not me, it's your fault, joker. Now, king, here's what... God wants you to do, and here's what I'm telling you to do. Elijah telling the king of Israel what to do, and the king is doing it. Go, gather all the people together. Bring them up to Mount Carmel. Go, get all the prophets of Baal and bring them to Mount Carmel. Go, get all these other prophets served by the queen at her table and provision. Bring them as well, the prophets of the grove. What does Elijah do? I mean, uh, what does Ahab do? He doesn't. He is following the directions of Elijah. He calls fire down from heaven, consumes not just the sacrifice, but the altar and everything around it. And he sees all the people publicly confess that Yahweh is now our God. We will serve him. Then he prays for rain. God answers his prayer, sends the rain. Then God says, I want you to go run faster than the chariot back to town. And God supernaturally makes that happen. Elijah should be standing strong in the face of this threat. Instead, what's happened, we covered some of this last time, He killed at least 450 of these prophets, probably slew 850 total because of the prophets of the grove. And he's seen the blood. You kill 800 people in one location, there's some blood on the ground. He's seen these maimed and desecrated and 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 mutilated carcasses of bodies and all the blood. And he's probably covered in blood as well. And he was probably a sight when he got back to town, running all that way, with sweat dripping through the blood, dripping off his body. He gets into his house. And he takes a quick bath and starts to clean up when the knock comes to the door. 
And it's the servant. And it gives them the message that within 24 hours, you're going to be just like they are. And in this mental image, he sees what a gruesome sight that he was responsible for. And the devil whispering in his ear, you're going to be just like they are. And he's seen the blood and his clothes stained. There's probably blood all over his house where it was dripping off of him because of the sweat. And this mental image is what he holds in his mind and not the fire coming down, not the birds feeding him twice a day, not the provision provided for him with the widow woman, not raising her son from the dead. So he turns tail and runs. That is what Elijah is looking at in his mind. And that's what happens when we allow fear to override our faith. Just like Peter in his water walking uh, debut. Amen. He was doing great as long as he had his eyes on Jesus. But when he became distracted by the wind and the waves, he began to sink. You know, we covered this a little bit oh, several, several sessions ago. About our rabbi, Jesus. And how disciples are called to be like their rabbi, their master, their teacher. And they seen Jesus walking on the water. Peter, as a disciple of the Lord, said, Well, if I'm supposed to be like you, Lord, call me to come to you. I'll walk on the water too. And Jesus... Loving this statement of faith says, come on, boy, get out of the boat. And Peter climbs out of the boat and is walking on the water, being just like his rabbi. And then he turns and probably looked back at the boys in the boat who are still in the boat, said, Peter, what are you doing? It's a storm out here. We're, we're not even supposed to be in a boat in the middle of this storm, let alone out of the boat walking on water. What are you doing? We don't walk on water anyways. And he hears their testimony. He sees the wind blowing, the waves slapping him in the face. And he takes his eyes off Jesus. And it says he begins to sink. It was not, I mean, if you and I got out of the boat trying to walk on the water, bloop, I mean, you're down quick. This says he began to sink. And it was slow enough that he could call out to Jesus to save him. And Jesus walked over to him and pulled him up. So it was not a bloop type sinking. It was more of a gradual lowering as his faith level was being weakened by what he was seeing. Amen. And that is kind of the same situation Elijah's in. 
But instead of this slow lowering of his faith, he turns and every step he takes on the run, every day he's on the run, is weakening his faith little by little. Because all he's thinking about is the threat on his life that has just been made. He's not thinking about all of the miraculous provision that God had given him. He's not thinking about that testimony. He's thinking about the threat on his life. He's thinking about the images that are in his mind of all these prophets, 850 of them that have been killed. He's thinking that he's going to be just like one of them if he don't get as far away from Jezebel as he can. And the only place that he can think he can get to is to the mountain of God. And since he knows, well, I just lost the battle. I lost the war. I may have won several battles, but I lost the war. There's no way God can use me now. So God, just take my life. Get it over with. You kill me instead of them. You see, our ministry in this world is much like Elijah's. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones left who are really standing for God. That everyone else and everybody else is out to get us. Much too often we long to say with the distressed prophet, Lord, that's enough. I can't take anymore. But take comfort in the fact that when Satan increases the intensity with which he tries to inflict us, that could very well be your good sign that you are stepping hard on his toes. Amen? In fact, Jesus tells us to rejoice when we're being persecuted because of his namesake. Praise God! And we learn from the Reformation... Persecution seems to breed faith in amazing volume. Amen? I mean, the day and time we live in right now, we are protected in America to an extent. Those days are rapidly coming to a close. But as of right now, the today, the day of this broadcast, the day you're hearing this, Christians as a whole in this nation are still protected from the persecution that they're facing elsewhere in the world. I've seen one estimate that just in the past dozen years or so since 9-11 that there have been estimated 300 million Christians martyred for the name of Christ. 300 million. That's almost every man and woman and child in the United States of America. But yet, our government doesn't want to acknowledge it. Our government does not want to say that all these Christians are being murdered and we're going to put a stop to it. Why? Because of oil? Because of money? Because they're trying to encourage the one world government? All those are yes 
The answer to all those questions is yes. Because this is the last days. We are living in the last of the last days. And all these things must come to pass just like Jesus said. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.